Unfortunately, our three nights Freedom Fighters will not be live streamed. A lot of it is impartation, and so there are very strict orders on what you can put on live stream. So Freedom Fighters, we will have audio recordings. For those that can't be here physically, we will have those, um, but not uh, live stream. So, all right. Before you stand... I'm going to read the scripture, and I've got a few things I want to say before we, and then I'll have you stand for the prayer, but this is 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of of sins. So the title of the message is Precious Faith Praying in the End Times. There is a horizontal shaking going on in this whole world and in America, and it is to the end that God is allowing this is so that the church will go vertical. This is a time we need to go vertical. We need to get in that place of prayer. Find out what it is to be a person of prayer. We need, we need the church at this hour to go vertical. When Jesus turned over all of the tables in the temple, remember what he said with great zeal? My house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it something else, but it's supposed to be a house of prayer. And God, with great zeal, is turning the tables over, if you will, to make his house. And today, his house isn't this building. It's you and me. He is making us individually and corporately a house of prayer. This is the call we need to answer in this hour. Now, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to think. Same thing I think. I'm not that great at praying. I'm not, I don't really know exactly how to pray. I don't think I pray enough, but I know I should. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. How do we do this thing? Listen, here's what scripture says in Romans 8. It says, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. So everybody just take a deep breath. You're okay. But God has given us the Holy Spirit in our weakness to help us. The Holy Spirit is here to help us grab a hold of not just how to pray, but the spirit of prayer. So would you mind standing with me and we're going to pray together. Father, it is shaking. And you, call, you are calling your people to have sound judgment and a sober spirit. Not a, not a fearful spirit, not a despairing spirit, but a sober spirit with sound judgment so that we can become these people of prayer. Father, we, we just acknowledge before you and each other we're not great at this. But you have given us the Holy Spirit in our weakness, to help us. Holy Spirit, come. Teach, come, impart, even today, the spirit of prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Point one is the potential of prayer. So I do uh, his 
my utmost for his highest is Oswald Chambers. There's a little reading every single day. And this, this one is from a couple weeks ago. And he is commenting on John 14, 13, where Jesus says this. Jesus says, if you shall ask me anything in my name, that will I do. And here's Oswald Chambers' comment. It is all so mysterious, O Lord, and all so simple. I pray and believe that you create something in answer to and by the very means of my prayer that was not in existence before. Many years ago now, Ted Decker wrote a book called Blink. It was republished as In the Blink of an Eye. But it's a book about theology, but it's written in this story form, this dramatic story, and it's about this guy named Seth Borders. And Seth Borders has got an IQ that is off the charts, and he is an atheist, and he's at a college university, and he loves to debate against the existence of God with his professors. Well, so we start out getting to know him. He's kind of filled with himself, very arrogant, and unbelievably smart. Well, the story is also about this Saudi Arabian princess named Miriam who is r- running out of the uh, Saudi Arabia and lands on American shores and, and the Saudi Arabian police are chasing her down and, and it turns out that he's giving this speech in this college thing and she is hiding in that same building and they're looking for her and all of a sudden Seth Borders, the, the atheist with a high IQ, his mind starts exploding. And all of a sudden, he knows that the Saudi, about the Saudi Arabian princess, that she is hiding in the women's bathroom. And then he, he begins to see futures. He sees all of these futures where she is recaptured and taken and bad things happen. And then he sees this one future where he leaves the podium right now, goes to the bathroom, gets in, tells her to do X, Y, and Z, and they escape. And he's kind of crazy, but he's like, I'm just going to go to the, I'm leaving right now. And so he just walks off the, and he goes into the bathroom, and sure enough, there's a Saudi Arabian princess, and he sees the future, and he tells her, this is, I'm here to rescue you, here's what we need to do, and da-da-da-da-da, and the police get there just in time, that they're gone. And so, they're on the run. And this continues to happen. Now, the Saudi Arabian police have contacted the American police, so everybody is looking for this woman. And, uh, and everywhere they go, he gets all of these futures, and in almost all of them, they get caught, but he, always, he finds a couple where they go free, and, and so they keep eluding the police, even though the, the force chasing them gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's crazy. Like, he will see one future where one time they they get captured by the police and he's going through all of these futures and there's one where he drops a marble on the floor and the police looks the other way and if if Miriam will wait two seconds and then follow, they get away. And so he'll just, he'll say, he said, you're not going to understand it, but... This is what I need you to do. You just, just obey it. And sure enough, they would get away. 
Amazing. And then finally, they're going to Mexico. Once they get into Mexico, they're, go- they're going to be free. And so they're heading towards the border. But the Saudi police and the American police, everybody's waiting for them. They're there. And, and for the very first time, every single future, they get caught. There is no future where they don't get caught. So he does something radical as an atheist. He goes out, because they're in the desert, they're driving. He stops the car, and he says, I need to do something. And he goes, and he gets on his knees, and he prays. And he gets back in the car and waits. And then, boom, all of a sudden, there's one future where, where there was not in existence before that comes into his mind, there's a way out. It's a a book about God does not live in time. And God, without violating freedom, runs all things. And there is this something called prayer where we can actually bring something into existence on earth that was not on earth before we prayed. Amazing what prayer is. So I have a friend from Minnesota. He pastored a church there um, in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, way up north Minnesota. He pastored this church for, for many, many, many years. And about 10 years ago, he told me this story that had just happened in his church. Church of about 40. And very, very discouraging because it was basically the same 40 people that were there 20 years ago. And he was just, just dreading being a pastor. And just, I, this is what I am, this is what I do, this is the church I... And, and just week after week, same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. And just very tired, very weary, and just, just kind of going through the motions of church. Well, one Sunday he gets up to preach... And he starts speaking, same, same type of thing, same type of message. And people start weeping in his congregation. He sees people crying here and crying there, and they're crying all over the place. And, and while he's speaking, he's thinking, what, is, this, is this good today? Is this better than usual? Uh, what have I done differently? And, he's, and it gets to the end. He cannot figure out what's going on. He goes to the door, and people are leaving. And they're like, oh, pastor. I cannot tell you what today did for me. It was like a a knife went into me. It was like oil went over me. Pastor, I can't tell you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he's just, he's just like, this is just a conundrum for him. And he gets home and uh, he's still thinking about this and his daughter calls well, his daughter has been down in Kansas City at the House of Prayer. And she's on one of the prayer teams there. It's called the Night Watch. They, there's one group that prays all night. And she's on that group. And she calls. And before he could say anything, she says, Did anything different happen at church today? And of course, he's just absolutely intrigued. So he's not going to give anything away. And he says... Uh, why? Why do you want to know if something was different at church today? 
She said, because our night watch team prayed all night for your church. The prayer room down in Kansas City has been going now for 21 years. 21 years, groups of young people take shifts. I think it's like 144 shifts a week. No, 84 shifts a week to fill all the hours, two-hour shifts. Um, And they pray constantly, 24-7. And it's been going on since 1999. So 21 years of uninterrupted prayer. And so I... Love Mike Bickle, the head of the House of Prayer. I love his heart. I love his heart for prayer and for revival. And so when we were in our sabbatical, we went down there for a week. And I've been going down there for years. And we took group. They had a conference called One Thing. We'd take a group down there. And, but my favorite thing to do whenever we took a group down there was to listen to the history CDs. There's a history of how that movement began back in the early 80s that is stunning. It's like right out of the pages of Acts. Angels appearing, audible voices, and God saying, I'm going to set up a 24-7 prayer room, and, and it will touch the, the entire world. And um, so we, we, But they made many different versions of these CDs. And so I, I, we're going to go down there anyway. I call down there. We, we order uh, the most recent series of these history CDs. And, and so we listen to them on sabbatical. And in one of them, Mike is talking about the spirit of prayer. That you actually need the spirit to pray. That the, the, the prayers that change the world are, are not the ones we thought of, but the ones that are energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that one of the first things to pray is for the spirit of prayer. And he told about the second great awakening. And Charles Finney went around the nation and thousands and thousands of souls were saved. Actually, hundreds of thousands of people were saved. And, uh, but he wouldn't go to a city unless Father Nash went first. Father Nash would go, and he would just grab a few people, it didn't take many, and they would find a room, and they would begin to pray. And the spirit of prayer would come on them, and by the time Charles Finney got there, the, the battle was already won. And I was so moved by this CD, and Mike told some stories about the spirit of prayer coming on him, and, and I, just, I just decided uh, every Saturday, I'm going to pray for an hour for Sunday morning. And I'm just going to pray for the spirit of prayer. I'm going to just pray that God will come in a fresh way. And so, and Alice has joined me. Usually we just put in a CD and we pray in tongues almost the entire time. And we're just praying for Sunday morning. But we're praying for a spirit of prayer. Uh, 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 that the spirit of prayer would come and that it would go from trying to pray to being this river or this flow of prayer. Well, here is the funny thing. I, when I uh, got back from sabbatical, I asked our staff, does anybody want to listen to these history CDs? And so we got several copies of them. And um, I found out from Nathan, Pastor Nathan, that him and Megan, when they heard the exact CD that I heard, had started praying one hour every Saturday night for Sunday morning. Exactly. It was the exact same response to us. That God would pour out a spirit of prayer. Ezekiel chapter 22, 29 through 31. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. 
I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all that they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. So this is about Israel. And their sins deserve punishment. God is the judge of the whole earth. He is the one that brings judgment. And judgment is about to come. But God says that his heart is not to bring this judgment. And so he's looking for an intercessor. He's looking for somebody in that would stand in the gap, that would pray, that would be between him and the, the, the people that, that justly deserve the wrath of God. And he can't find an intercessor. So wrath comes and wipes out the land. Well, this is about more than just Israel. It's about the human race. And it turns out that God has found an intercessor. He actually came down in the second person of the Trinity and Jesus is the, the, he's the mediator. He is the one that stands between the human race and the wrath of God. Now, you and I now are, are part of Jesus. We are called the body of Christ. And so it's not that Jesus is in between the wrath of God and the human race, but the church is. And, and the church is to join Jesus in that intercession. So a few weeks ago, somebody sent me um, a video, a YouTube from, from a prophet in Australia. And I've actually had three people send it to me since then. One was just this morning. Same, same YouTube. But here's the basic word that this prophet from Australia had for America. He saw two Massive statues in America. One was named Fear, and the other was named Hate. And these two statues were, were ramming each other. And every time they rammed each other, it was like shrapnel went out and wounded and hurt people everywhere. And just randomly. There was just random hurt and fear and hatred going everywhere as these two really demonic principalities were crashing each other. And then in the vision, he saw this, this light come between fear and hate. And it was the church. It was the church coming between the fear and the hate in the land. But he saw something that the church was standing on ice. And of course, when you have ice, you, ha you have no position to stand against something because you don't have a foundation. And he said the ice was um, our, our, the religious spirit under the church sometimes. It was superstitions the church has believed in that what God was doing is he was using this shaking to to crack the ice, to remove the ice. He was sending both shaking and fire to remove the ice so that the church would get on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ himself. And then, and then be able to be this intercessor, this mediator that would keep off the darkness of fear and hate that is trying to take over our country. This is the hour that we are in. 
It is time for the church to wake up. It's, t- it's, time, it's time for the church to come into her identity in Jesus. To, to cast off re- re- just religious ideas and superstitious ideas and to take up their identity and know who they are as favored sons and daughters in God. We need to take our place. This is the hour that God is waking up the church. And as he is prophesying, here's what I sense from the Lord. Of course, fire melts ice, doesn't it? Shaking has to, it cuts it up, but fire melts it. The more fire we have, the less shaking we'll need. The more we can, in Pentecost, the church started in a prayer meeting, folks. It started with the fire of God coming. As the fire of God comes, the ice under our feet will melt away. The, the religious idols will, will fall. And we will find ourselves firmly on that ground of Jesus Christ. And I, I don't know about you, but I would prefer less shaking and more fire. But it, it's time. The church needs to wake up. I heard somebody say this. If God doesn't destroy America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom. Heard somebody say that. Here's why I disagree with that. The reason why Sodom was destroyed, ultimately, was not because of all of their sins that deserve destruction. They were ultimately destroyed because God was looking for a remnant. He said, if I could just find 10 people that are righteous, I'll preserve the whole city. I just need a remnant to work with. So Sodom was actually destroyed because of a lack of a remnant. Folks, let me tell you something about America. There is a remnant in America. There's not just a remnant in Madison. There's not just worshiping happening all over the city. But every city in the United States, there is a tremendous remnant of the body of Christ, of people who are trying to live their lives for Jesus Christ, people that are following God. But, but that remnant needs to wake up. This is the hour. It's the hour. We, we, we can't play church anymore, folks. We, we have to wake up. God, send your fire. Melt down the ice. Lord, use this shaking to get us on solid ground. But it, it, it's time. The potential of prayer. Point two is knocking prayer. Luke eleven five through 13. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, one translation, shameless persistence, He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I want to talk about knocking prayer. There are three different types of prayer. One is uh, seeking prayer, one is knocking prayer, and one is asking prayer. I want to talk today about knocking. Just to give you the, an idea of what the difference is, seeking prayer is where you seek after God himself. It's, it's called seeking God's face. Seeking him for who he is. His, his face is who he is. His hand is what he can do for you. So seeking his face is to seek him with all your heart and you will find him. It's recognizing the greatest prize of a Christian is God himself. It's not what God's going to do for you. It's God himself. It is the relationship that we have in Jesus that is eternal life. That is the great prize, is his love and our relationship with him. And so I always want us to be careful in prayer that we don't become like the suspicious teenager. What do I mean? So you're, 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 you're rebellious, kind of um, sullen teenage son comes to you. And says, hi dad, how are you today? And the first thought you have is, oh my, he's growing up. He, he knows that there's another person in the house. And then he says, dad, I, you look really good in that shirt. He's, he's never complimented me. Wow. He says, dad, have I... Dad, have I told you recently how much I love you? Oh, boy. Then it finally kicks in. This is not anything of what I thought it was. What do you need? Oh, yeah, wait, there's this party. There's this, I, could I, da, 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 da. Guys, could we not do that to God? Could we not be buttering him up in worship and thanking him and praising him? And he, he, he knows. What do you need? What do you, I know you're not here for me. I know you just want something. That's why we always start on Tuesday night. We start at least a half hour. And I'll, I'll say to folks, this is, first half hour, it doesn't belong to us and it's not trying to get God to do anything. Let's just worship him for who he is. Let's just enjoy him for who he is. I know the world's in chaos. Get your mind off of that. And let's go higher and just gaze upon him. So that's, that's seeking prayer. And then there is asking prayer where we ask for our own needs. And God wants us to ask no matter how big it is, no matter how little it is. You can, you can ask God to help you with your taxes, help him to ask you, help you with your job, your, your marriage. You can ask him to help you with your golf game if you want to. Um, I certainly have and I found out this. He hasn't heard those prayers. <laughs> The, the only prayer that he's answered is helping me with the pain I have at how bad I am. So, I mean, we need God's help no matter, no matter what the case. But this knocking prayer is when you are asking the Lord for someone else. So here's the story Jesus gives, gives about prayer. He says it's like a friend that comes at midnight. Midnight's the darkest hour. 
And there are people that are living in darkness. They don't know God, but they know you. And so they come to the church and they say, it's really, really dark. And this is what I'm going through. And help me. And here's what the church says to to the friend that comes at midnight. We can't. We don't have anything of ourselves. We have no program or speech or songs or cliches that are going to help you. We, we, can, we cannot help you. However, we have a relationship with someone that can help you. He's, he's really wealthy. There's nothing he can't do. And we will use this relationship to now go and help you. And so he goes to this rich friend and he pounds on the door and the friend says, go away, we're sleeping. But he won't let go because of the, 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 the confidence that he has that this friendship will not be denied. If I keep knocking, he will eventually get up and give me everything that I need. And then he then goes and takes it back and gives it to the friend at midnight. So this is why it's so important in our text today, right after it said, um, uh, the end of all things are near, be of sober judgment and and sober spirit um, for the purpose of prayer. The next verse says this, above all things, love one another Earnestly from the heart, for love covers a multitude of sins. You and I are called to love people that are in the darkness. We are called to love people that don't deserve to be loved. The battle is not, as has already been said, against flesh and blood. So the people that you're angry at, the family members, the work people, the people on Facebook, the people from, that's different from your political party, people you're angry at, they're not the enemy. They're, they're, there's darkness behind. The fear and the hate are actually spiritual enemies that are using and speaking through people. And somebody has to rise up and love them. Love covers a multitude of sins. So you have this relationship because you just keep loving them. No matter what they do to you, you, keep, you just keep loving them. And so when midnight comes, which midnight always comes to every life, you find somebody that you might think helps you. And you remember there's this person that loves you. And what the human race needs is this, this breakthrough with God. That's the, everything else is abandoned. They need this breakthrough. So we come and we ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, not for ourselves, but for, to be released in this person that God loves, that has come to us. And we come with this moving, this freshness of the Holy Spirit. Here's how 1 Corinthians 14.1 says it. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire. Pursue love. Love people. Love them in their darkness. And then love them so much that you ask the Father for the Holy Spirit 
for the Holy Spirit to be released so that they get something beyond what human beings can give them. That they can encounter God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12.1 Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Folks, when you're in war and, you, and there are bullets flying, you, you want to know about your weapons. You want to know how to load the gun. How do you load this thing? How, how do you shoot it? How do these weapons work? That's what tonight is. That's what these next three nights are. God wants us to know about the weapons. God wants to know about his gifts. He wants us to know what is available to the body of Christ to set other people free. The Holy Spirit has poured out these supernatural gifts, but you and I have to know about them, desire them, and then access those gifts. Freedom fighters. The church in America has largely gone without the spiritual gifts because they're, they're weird or we don't understand them or people might make a mistake with them. And so we just, we've basically done, we love the fruit of the Spirit. And so we'll talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We love the fruit. We love the character of Christ. And so it, the church has pretty much gone without spiritual gifts. But the hour's too late, folks. It's time for the army of God to rise up and, 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 and learn about the weapons that God has given to, to his body to set people free. So years ago, we were in Minnesota pastoring a church. My kids were young. Matt was probably about 10 years old. And Matt and I found this Video Fathers always want something they can do with their sons that both of you will enjoy. It kind of it gives them something to do together, but then it builds the, the, the friendship. And, and so we found this video game, and we had so much fun together. It was called Raptor. And the, the, the game is around these airplanes that you have that are fighter jets, and you have cash, and you can buy weapons, and these enemies come at you, and you move the plane back and forth, and boom, 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 you shoot down these, these enemies that are coming at you. And, but you have, to, you have to buy weapons. Well, so much fun. I, I, I understood how to to buy these bombs and buy these shields. And so I, I became very proficient at the bombs and the shields and how to buy them and how to shoot them. And, and so I was competing. I was usually beating Matt and getting past level one and we'd almost get past level two and then you'd usually die sometime in level two and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, you know where this is going. And then Matt started beating me. <laughs> Matt started getting not just two, but level three, and then into level four, and it became humiliating competing with him. And so he says this to me, 10-year-old kid. Dad, you have got to buy some of these other weapons. Don't tell me what I should buy. 
I'm, I'm using bombs and shields, and I'm not going to be instructed by a 10-year-old. Let's play again. And, and once in a while, I beat him, but it got to be where I could never beat him. And he would go to level three and four with just ease, just boom, boom. He, and he says again, Dad, you, you, please let me show you how to get these other weapons and how they work. And I'm like, all right. <clears throat> so he shows me a few things, and... I start, when he's not home, I start playing. <laughs> and I'm like, these weapons are awesome. What used to be so hard and difficult, now it's just, I mean, it was just amazing. Have you ever considered the possibility that the church is going without gifts and weapons that God wanted it to have all along? That maybe what happened in Acts was not supposed to be the end all, but that was actually a beginning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and how we were supposed to function. And all the church needs to have is the humility to say, our programs aren't doing it. Our speeches aren't doing it. But we have a relationship with someone. Let's go back to the Father. And then, and then finally, perseverance in prayer. So what's going on in this text? Jesus says, this is what it's going to be like when you pray. This is what it's going to be like. They're going to come. You're going to, you're going to come to me. And there's going to be this voice inside that says this. Leave me alone. <laughs> We're all sleeping. Well, I've got a friend. I don't care about your friend. We're sleeping. The door's locked. Leave. But he won't leave. He is shamelessly audacious. He is persistent. He will not leave. And eventually, this rich guy gets out of bed, inconveniences himself, unlocks the door, gives him the fresh bread, and Jesus says, this is, this is what prayer is going to be like. You're going to have to persevere. What, is, is that what God's like? No, but that's what it's going to feel like he's like. You're going to knock, and what you're going to feel is that God's saying, I'm, I'm asleep, and I don't care. I, oh, yeah, I'm, or, or I'm in charge of the whole world, and yeah, I, I know, but um, your thing is too small, or I am just unconcerned about that person or that situation. And you're going to feel that while you're praying. This isn't doing any good. This isn't doing any good. And Jesus says this to us. Don't believe it. Do not believe that about God. God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always up. And he loves us more than anyone else could ever love anyone. He demonstrated his love for dying for us on the cross. There's no one that cares more. So Jesus said, you're going to have to fight through feelings to become a person of prayer. You're going to have to fight through lies that are coming into your mind about that are accusing the character of God. And you're going to have to fight them. And you're going to have to say, no, that's not true. And keep going, keep going, keep going. But he said, you're going to have to persevere. He said, uh, it's not everything, especially when you're praying for others, it's not going to happen just because you're a friend of God. 
just because you have a friendship. It says it in the text. He doesn't get up and do it because he's his friend. But he uses his friendship to be shamelessly audacious and say, I am going to, I am going to contend. I'm going to use my friendship. I'm going to spend all of my grace to, to press in to get what is necessary. Jesus says, he will get up and he will give you everything that you need. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and continue to ask is the tense. This persistently going in. So over the 4th of July, I watched two documentaries on the History Channel. And each of them were at least three hours because they were in three segments. One was about George Washington. And what these historians said about George Washington, and some of it they did some drama, but it was usually historians talking about it. They said, really, America is not just built on the Constitution. It is built on George Washington. And, and here's why. Continental Congress came together in 1775, and the, the, the British were doing more and more and more and more, and um, started killing people, and there were uprisings, and the Continental Congress needed to decide, what are we going to do? Because life is miserable. They made several appeals to England, and finally, they said, we need to, we need to declare independence. And the uh, problem was, is England had uh, the largest army in the whole world, all the best weapons. They had a massive navy, uh, hundreds of ships that would carry soldiers. So they had the waters, they had the land. They, had, they, were, they were fully trained warriors, and America had nothing except a desire to be free. And so... They needed a a commander-in-chief, a general for the army, and Washington did not want, ever want to be the general, but he was elected to be the general because he had some military experience. And then he went to meet with the first army that met, and he immediately wished he had never said yes because it was just an absolute mess. People with all kinds of guns that didn't really shoot and people that didn't have any... Uh, discipline at all, and we're going we're gonna to fight the largest army in the world. And then to compound it, he made some military mistakes right away. And people are like, uh, maybe he's the wrong guy. The problem was there was no one else. And there was only one, they were, they were too far into it. Be- Benjamin Franklin said it in the Continental Congress. He said, listen guys, if we declare independence... There's no retreat. He said, these, he said these words. If we don't hang together, most assuredly we will hang separately. This is treason. We, we will die as criminals if we don't win this war. And so Washington wanted to resign many times. But there was no choice. You just had to keep going forward. And if you know the whole story, the miracles that had to happen for us to be a nation are off the charts. So the second one I watched 
um, was about Ulysses S. Grant. Grant was the Lincoln's general in the Union Army. Lincoln went through about six generals. <laughs> he just kept looking. They were all really smart. They all went to West Point. They all looked great on paper. Uh, the problem is they wouldn't fight. It was, it was a horrible, horrible war where you're having to fight your brothers. It was just horrible. And he found Ulysses S. Grant, who made mistakes, who had some questionable qualities, but he would fight. And he was willing to do what it was going to take to free the slaves. And in, in the documentary, it says what motivated Grant. It wasn't about preserving the Union. It was about freeing slaves. For Grant, it was the cause of the Confederacy that just made him absolutely sick. That if the Confederates win, not only will all the black people in slavery stay in slavery, but the North was, this was their terms of peace, the North would have to give back all of the blacks that had escaped North to be their slaves. And Grant was, I will either die or prevail, but I'm not retreating. I'm not retreating. And, and our nation was preserved. And the 13th Amendment was made. And the Emancipation Proclamation was sent out as the gospel to everybody that was a slave. So what has that got to do with us in this hour? Everything. Absolutely Everything. In 2010, Brian White, Brian White is one of our overseeing elders here. He's, a, he's been a prophetic voice to this church since the beginning. He hasn't preached here in about, in a couple of years, by his own choice. I ask him every year. He's, he will only do what he feels like the Holy Spirit's telling him. But in 2010, um, we, we were not a church yet. It was August, and at the end of August, all of the elders and staff, it was about 30 people from the two churches coming together. One was Mad City, which I was pastor of, and the other was Lake City, and John Ruck was the interim pastor. And we were, we were going to meet together to vote as to whether we should put these two together. And, uh, but Brian, because Brian had a prophetic word about this, we, had, we asked Brian to come and speak to us all. And so we were downstairs in the fellowship hall of Lake City Church at the time, and it was elders, staff, and their wives, and it was a very, very sober time, and uh, we asked Brian to share, and Brian said, he said these words, there are three kinds of churches that are growing in America. He said the first one works like this. You take a really charismatic, anointed leader, and you make the whole ministry around him and get him on TV, get him on radio and make it all about his persona. He said, he said, this, this works. This works in America. Just the same reason American Idol works in America. Americans love to have somebody that they can hold up that's, that's bigger than, than life. He said the second group that's growing is they're called seeker-sensitive churches. And what that one is, is 
treating Americans like the consumers they are. Give them church they like. Make church likable for a non-Christian. Let's make it shorter. Let's make it more performance. And let's, instead of speaking directly from uh, text, let's do felt needs. Let's, let's find out what they need and then use the Bible because they love the They still love, it's not about not loving the Bible. It's just the direction. Let's make it so that non-Christians want to be here and let's make it about that. And, and Brian was very careful at that time to say, I am not criticizing either one of these. Paul rejoiced that the gospel was being preached, however it was being preached, and God uses everything as much as he can. He says, so I'm not, I'm not here to, to make any comments. All I'm saying is that if you're going to be either one of these first two churches, do, there's no need for city church. Please don't do city church. He said there's a third type of church in America that's growing, and they're very rare. And this is a church that their passion is to make God welcome. It's, it's not about people. It's about God. It's about God. It's, it's not about getting people to like you. Did you know there's no command that to try to get people to like you? There is a command for you to love them, but they, you, they don't have to like you. In fact, as Jesus said, they're probably going to hate you. But he said, this is a church where it's about the presence of God. Where, where it's not about the guy up front, it's not about the people that aren't coming, it's about the God who comes in our midst. And he told us about an experience he had had in the 80s. He was sitting in the back on a chair, the back wall, and all of a sudden, waves of the Holy Spirit started coming over him. Wave after wave after wave. He would had no idea why. And then God spoke. And he said, I am going to raise up a church where I can pour out my spirit in an unhindered way. And he said, he said if, this, if this is the kind of church you want to be, then, there, then that would be the reason for City Church. And a couple weeks later, we voted. Everybody had to verbally say whether they were going to do this or not, and it was 30 to 0 to do this. And the yes, the yes was not just to City Church. It was to this vision. It was a yes to this vision. So we were in horrible financial condition. It was questionable whether we would make it from, for the first few months. It was right on the verge of going under because all three buildings, both the church, the school, and the daycare were all under the same mortgage. We lose one building. We lose all three buildings. And I had said going in, church isn't the building. I, I know how to do church without having a building. And so I'm in whether we lose the buildings or not. But I mean, that's how bad it was. It was really, really bad. And so uh, we made it. We made it through the first year and the second year, and then a lawsuit came up against the school that threatened everything again. And and then by the fall of 2012, that lawsuit was miraculously dropped. Um, and and we're all taking a sigh of relief. <sighs> Maybe we're going to make this. And it was a Tuesday morning prayer with the staff. I'm not going to tell the whole story. I've told it before. Where um, I just felt like the word of the Lord was that you guys haven't even started what I want to do here. 
Do you think this is all about paying the bills and keeping the ministry running and keeping the school running? That's not what this is about. I want to pour out my spirit. And, and so we had this time of weeping before the Lord and we're praying these prayers. And God sent a prophet that literally came into the room from Milwaukee. He couldn't sleep the night before. He, God, he said, what should I do? He, God said, go find Tom Flaherty and give him this word about City Church. And so he comes in, and I, and I said to him, I said, bro, what, what, tell me what the word is. He said, this, this is the word. God says, ask me, City Church and Tom Flaherty, ask me, and I will give you a double portion of my spirit. Woo. Yeah, and, that, and that's how it was. That's exactly how it was in 2012. <laughs> but you get weary. You push, you push. Gotta, how long do we got to ask? How long do we have to ask? And then in 2015, another prophetic guy comes and he says he saw a bonfire, that there's going to be a bonfire here, and that evangelism is just going to be a brush fire, that God's going to start fires everywhere, that you don't have to have some big, huge, planned evangelism thing. Just build a bonfire, and then people are going to go out, and the Spirit's going to breathe, and there's going to be revival here, revival there, revival there. And then the next year, God gave another word about the double portion. It's going to be poured out, not on one generation, but as the younger generation honors and the older generation releases that it's, it's not going to come unless we're in the act of pouring it out to our, our younger generation. That we are to look at the younger generation with his eyes. Don't see them as rebellious, selfish, no good, uh, lazy. You start looking at that next generation as my warriors because that's who they are. You start looking. This is not about how great they are. It's about my grace, and about what I'm going to do. And so where, so, so Pastor Tom, where is it? Listen. We just have to keep knocking. There, I, I see grace. I see, we do see some miracles, and we, we're careful to thank God. But the river started out in Ezekiel 47, ankle deep, and it got larger and larger and larger. And guys, the bigger the river gets, the less human control there is. The river needs to rise in America. We need to press in. We need to not give in to discouragement. Well, you know, more should be happening now. Well, get over it. Let's press in and ask for more. Let's press in. Let's press in. Let's not give up. Let's be shamelessly audacious. Could we stand to our feet? So I'm going to ask, the, wor the worship team is probably on their way. I hope they're on their way. Um, so I'm so happy to be a favored son and a favored daughter of God and ex enjoy the acceptance of the family of God. But today, we have to ask for something more than you being in God's family. We, we need you to be in the army. God, there's no draft. You, you got to volunteer. It says in Psalm 110, in the day of your power, your people are going to volunteer freely. Here's how the army works. You just sign up. You have no idea what, what you're going to do. You don't know what, how you're going to be used. You don't know anything. All you do is sign up. First, they beat you up in basic training. <laughs> Take away all entitlement. And then they... They say, now you're going to go here, you're going to go there. And that's what it is to be in the army. You lose your right and you become available. 
to the commander-in-chief. And so, if you want to be part of the army, no looking around. I just want you to open up your arms like this. If you want to enlist in the army in this hour, we need you. We need you. The Bible says that when that fire came on Pentecost, that it divided and there was fire for every single person there. All 120. There was a fire for every head. There was a fire for every heart. This was not a fire coming on Peter. And everybody's saying, Peter's awesome. (laughs) There was fire for everyone. There were no spectators. They all became participators. And so, Father, here you see us with our arms open, and we, we're, not, we're not great. We're not that spiritual. We're not anything. But we are loved by you. And we do know that the hour is very, very dark in this country. And that we need more. The church needs more than it's had. And so, Lord, sign me up. And Lord, I love that fire came because we want less shaking and more fire. (laughs) Pour out your fire, Jesus! John said he's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Baptize us in your fire, Jesus. Burn away our agenda, our fear, our hatred. Burn away our prejudice. Burn away our divisions. Lord, we need to hang together. Unite your body, Jesus. Unite your body in this hour, God. The enemy is coming and trying to divide us through all kinds of opinions and, and, and prejudices and through Facebook and social media and a hundred different ways. Bring us together, Jesus. And let there be fire for every single head, every single heart. We love you, God. Let's do this song together and uh, I'll come back and close us. your fire, Jesus. Fire, fall down. Fire, fall down. On us we pray. We need your fire. Come now, burning us, burning us. Sing cause I know. Cause I know my life 
say this is the first week the Welcome Center is open if you are a guest here today. Otherwise, to dismiss safely, what we do is we open up all the doors and we don't gather for fellowship in here. We all make our way to a door. If you want to talk with people or pray with people, it needs to be done outside. But here's how I want to close today. There is a blessing that God gave Aaron that he could put God's blessing on the people. God said, Aaron, you've got authority to do this. And and so I want to give you the blessing that God gave to give through Aaron to his people. Here's how it goes. May the Lord bless you 
May the Lord keep you. May he be gracious to you or generous or pour out his favor on you. May he make his countenance to shine upon you. And may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and be blessed.